One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Edgman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Welcome back to today's episode. We're going to do a fun Q&A, but first let's start with our money wins and money losses. Anna, do you have one? Mine is just like a typical one. I signed up for Audible because I wanted to get a book and then I put a reminder in my calendar to cancel it, but I missed the deadline and was charged $14.77. Not a big deal. Not, not a big deal, but it is one of those things that happens to me every time. Like I'll sign up for something. I know it's the subscription model. So I put it in my calendar and I always end up missing <laughs> the, the deadline. I always end up paying for the extra month. I think I did this with uh, Foods. I've done this with so many different things. So here's just another example of me doing that. But that's okay because I eventually canceled and at least I'm, I'm aware that that's a payment that I no longer have. I do love Libby by Overdrive and BorrowBox, which are a great alternative to Audible. And Audible is great, but um, I canceled it for right now. So that's my that's my money win-loss uh, of the week. What about you, Tash? First in your audio book one, I, everyone tells me that you can just cancel straight away and still use it, but I'm the same and I always forget and put it in my calendar and never actually do it. Um, and also, I don't know if you've seen, but Spotify Premium has 15 hours of audiobooks now included, which is oh, pretty cool. I did not. Okay. Mm. I will I will definitely check that out. Well, that's the thing with some services, if you cancel, you don't have access anymore. And other services, you'll cancel, but they'll give you access until the end of the pay run. So I didn't oh, yeah. know with Audible, but I do believe that you are correct that it would have um, 
just kept I like going. the ones that are all linked to my Apple ID or like my Apple store one where you can actually just go through and see the list of them and what date they end and you can cancel them in the app. That's pretty handy. Oh, good tip. My money win. I recently moved and we've been buying a lot of furniture. So a few months ago, I bought a heap of gift cards when they were 15% off. And then when we actually went to buy a dining table, I asked for a discount and got a 30% off friends and family discount code as well. So that really added up. That was very exciting. Where did, did, where did you ask for the discount? Like in the store? Yeah, yeah, at Freedom. So we had the gift cards that were mm-hmm. already 15% off. And then I went in and just asked for a discount because we were buying two things. And I was nice. And the, the lovely gentleman there said, oh, like maybe if you spend over this much and we were going to spend that much anyway. And then we got a discount. So that was pretty nice. It pays it off to It always ask. pays to ask. My dad used to always do this. I remember as a kid just being so impressed. We'd be at the furniture shop buying like a couch or something at the time. And, you know, it, and my mom being like, okay, let your dad do your thing and like pulls me aside. <laughs> and my dad would be like, oh, what can you do? You know, mm-hmm. um, it does the, the dad thing, but it pays to ask. So that's a great example. Yeah. I remember we did it in JB Hi-Fi as well. He was getting oh, yeah. discounts on everything. <laughs> yeah. Tash and I were there and, and we were like, look, it's cheaper on Amazon. Can you hook us up? And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And so he did it for, for everything. Like everything. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. The whole shebang. I feel like I've had so many money wins this month. Um, it was my birthday in October as well. And grilled had free chips with any burger or salad purchase for the month of October. So I think I used it twice in the end because chips are like $6 at grilled. So money win as well. Oh, that's a good one. Birthday birthday freebies are always a huge win. Yeah. So let's kick it off with some questions that we've got from our community. First one, what are the biggest mistakes to avoid when investing? I think one of the biggest ones is investing when you're not ready. So if you don't have an emergency fund, you've got high interest debt and you don't understand why you're buying something. Another one is spending too much on brokerage. So ideally keeping fees under 1%. So if brokerage is $10, buying at least $1,000 in shares might be a really good kind of rule of thumb. Or use an investment frequency calculator to make the most of your brokerage fees and to understand what's the best amount that you should be paying based on your fees. But also just don't get caught up on this. It's just a small cost in the grand scheme of things. And it's just better to get in the market sooner. Yeah, this goes into our next one, the next mistake, not starting. So analysis paralysis can be a big one and it's very easy to focus on optimizing things like brokerage fees, but is it really worth saving 50 cents on brokerage if it took you six months longer to start? Possibly not. Yeah, great point. Another one, I think, which I'm definitely guilty of when I first started investing because I invested in all the ETFs is buying the same ETFs. So for example, buying VAS, IOS and A200, they all overlap and have almost the same companies. So just definitely do your due diligence and look into it. Another one I see a lot is buying VDHD and VAS. So VDHD is a diversified ETF that's made up of seven different funds. And inside VDHD, there is a fund very similar to VAS, the ETF. So when you buy VDHD, you already own um, some of the ASX 300. And then when you buy VAS, you're just buying more of the ASX 300. So when you go to buy an ETF, really have a look at the fund manager's website to see what the ETF holds. Tash, do you have any big investing mistakes that you've done or managed to avoid? (laughs) Managed to avoid? No, I made a big-ish one Um, at the start of COVID. When the COVID crash happened, I thought I was very smart and that the market wouldn't recover because the world was ending. The pandemic was huge. It was like there was no end in sight, really. Um, But the markets recovered really quickly. But when that happened, I decided to buy an inverse leverage ETF, which meant that every time the market went up, I lost double. 
So I thought, great, the market's going to keep going down. And I bought that, but no, the markets went up and I lost like $4,000 almost. Um, but I'm glad I learned that lesson back then when I was younger and I didn't have more money to put into the market because it could have been a lot worse if I tried to do it now, for example. So buy standard ETFs for me. Don't try and do anything fancy. Don't try and time the market. Don't try and like bet against the market as well. No big lessons. I feel like investing average is good enough. You know, like yeah. when you're investing, <laughs> great. average is great. It's better than if you have all your money in savings. Especially if you consider, if you're trying to beat the market and you consider how much you've lost money, you probably end up below average or average anyway. So saving myself the stress and just buying the average. And all the time you've probably wasted stressing oh, about when yeah. to buy and sell. It's just very taxing on your brain. Yeah. What's one of yours? Do you have one? For me, it was probably just waiting and losing out on compound interest. I had money that was invested and I pulled it out because in Canada, I had this scheme where you wouldn't get taxed on it. It was in a kind of tax-free savings account. It's called a savings account, but it's an investment. Anyways, nonetheless, I, I wasn't getting dinged with capital gains tax and I pulled it all out because I thought I was going to use it for travel or something. And it sat there and then months went by, years went by. And I finally was like, why do I have this money sitting here? Not making any money, not even in a savings account. Like it wasn't (laughs) increasing in interest and I wasn't investing. So I really lost out. I don't even want to think about how much uh, time and money I wasted on that. uh, Just sitting there losing value over time. And then another one was I ended up thinking that I was going to be financially savvy and sold some shares around the time that we were purchasing our house, which threw me in a different tax bracket. And because of that, for that financial year, I wasn't able to access paid parental leave because we were also expecting and the childcare subsidy. So I ended up paying full for childcare subsidy, 100%. I had to pay and I got no paid parental leave that year only because I ended up selling a bunch of shares that threw me in a different tax bracket and wasn't able to access that. Again, with a lot of privilege and I'm grateful, but had I done some tax planning and talked to a tax accountant, I would have thought about that differently. Now, uh, some of the rules have changed since then, so that wouldn't have affected me. But the weird thing around those things is also because I am the mother primary care I was impacted. Whereas if my partner sold those shares, we wouldn't have been impacted the same way. So oh, interesting, in- interesting things that happen. The rules have changed a bit then, but you know, still not fun. <laughs> yeah. A little plug for people to go and read your book, Kids Ain't Cheap. Um, Cause all of this stuff is very confusing and it's hard to know if you don't know about it previously. So if you're planning to have kids, prepare, read the book really plan out what you're going to do. Things I wish I knew. In saying that there's a few investing mistakes that you can make, I think it's really important to focus on not getting too caught up in making mistakes. Like it's fine to make mistakes and learn from them. Like even my COVID crash ETF thing, I'm glad that happened back then and not now. And I'm sure we all learn as we go too. So don't get too caught up on these mistakes. We make the decisions based on the information we have at that time in the same way that we both thought we knew better and we Mm -hmm. learn and we move on. And that's what makes us better investors in the future. Yeah. And in hindsight, you can always look back and think, oh, what if I'd done this? Or what if I'd done that? Or what if I'd invested more at this point? But we can't change the past. Exactly. Um, Next question. How to get a partner who hates delayed gratification excited about investing? So there's this marshmallow study, which looked at kids' delayed gratification. It's a pretty famous study. The idea was that each kid got a marshmallow and they couldn't eat it for a set time. They were told that if they didn't eat it and if they held off, they could get a second marshmallow. So this was really interesting because there were some kids that 
definitely ate that marshmallow because they just couldn't wait. And then there were other kids that waited and waited and showed restraint. So what they found in the study is that with delayed gratification and restraint, that those kids perform better over time in academics and in social skills, and they just had better outcomes overall. It helped them withstand some challenges, whether that's monetary or otherwise. So it's really interesting because delayed gratification really does improve some of your outcomes in life. It's a really good video. If you haven't seen it, go Google the marshmallow study. And some of the kids are so cute, trying so hard not to eat it. They look like they're being tortured. It's very, it's very wholesome. So back to this question though, you're not actually looking for someone who hates delayed gratification. You're looking for someone who aligns with your values and long-term goals and for someone who is open-minded to learning about things like investing and planning for the future. So to find someone like this, you need to have money conversations when dating people. And rather than upfront just asking what their goals are, because that can be a little bit intimidating, you can ask about their longer-term plans and what they value instead. This is a really important one because I often think about this is that one of the biggest financial decisions in your life that you can make is choosing who you partner with because they can literally make or break your financial future, whether, you know, you're building something together or even if you separate or go through divorce, that can have a huge lifelong impact on you. So it is really important to ensure that you're somewhat aligned and it's okay that you come from different backgrounds and stuff, but it really does come down to values. And have you actually asked your partner or your people you're dating what their values are? I think that's a really important one because it's not a conversation we have enough, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Next question. Would you invest or prioritize saving for a wedding or a house if that's a goal for you? I get questions like this all the time about like, would you do this or would you do that? Or if you had this money, what would you do with it? Um, but it all comes back to what do you actually value and what do you actually want? Do you want to invest? Do you want to have a wedding? Do you want a house? Like, what are your goals around this? And um, we all are very different, have very different preferences, and it depends on us. So, can you do both? What's your time frame? You can also invest later, or you can save for your house or your wedding later. It all depends on what you want. Um, also, going back to the wedding, weddings are very expensive. Do you want a big wedding? Can you have a micro wedding? Like, what are the options there as well? I think there's this social pressure on us that we have to kind of have it all and have it all now. And you can't, you just really can't. So it comes back down to those values as well. I I think for myself, for me, it was like, I wanted to have financial security. So I did a lot of investing upfront as well. And, you know, even in my relationship right now, we're not married. We ended up having a kid, then buying a house and are not married. So you can choose your own timeline based on what your values are. Yeah. And do you even want a $50,000 wedding or do you just want, I think one of my friends got married for only a few thousand dollars and had a micro wedding at the beach and it looked great. So yeah, it all depends on what you value, but if you want the big wedding, then great. You just need to prioritize that. What's that saying? You can have everything, just not everything at once. Yeah. Yeah. You can afford everything. You can have anything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can have anything, just not all at once. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is if all of these are your goal, maybe have an outline for each of them, set down some smart goals in terms of what you want to achieve, how much you think that is, and divvy that up. There can be a way where you can set up percentages for your house. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. For your wedding or travel or anything else that you have and put a little bit aside, the problem is it's going to take you longer to reach all of those goals if you're splitting them across different things. But, you know, that might be something that you want to do as you slowly work towards things. It, again, comes down to how you think about your own money and what you value and what you want to prioritize. Yeah. And you might have to compromise on some things and make sure that you're being really realistic. Like maybe you don't have the money for a $100,000 dream wedding plus a million dollar house plus investing too. So just be realistic. Okay. Next question. How can I stay motivated for purchasing a property? It's harder than auto investing. Interesting that it's harder than auto investing because you can also auto save, which is kind of the same idea, right? If you take money that goes into your checkings account and putting it into a savings account that is purposely for your house, that should kind of work the same way, especially if you find a high interest savings account, you can be making money off of that interest. So try to think of it in the same way, or at least that's how I think about it. I'm paying a bill or I'm paying myself first when I'm saving for something. The other question is, you know, what is your motivation for buying a house? Sometimes if you bring it down to your why, you, it can kind of ground you in staying motivated. Do you want security? Do you want a place to call home? Do you, what is it about that? And think about how that plays into what you are doing every time that you are putting money aside for it. I find saving for big things can be really demotivating if you don't have achievable goals. Like if you just say that you want to save $100,000, but you haven't broken that that down, that can seem very overwhelming. Whereas the auto investing, you know that you can invest your $20, $30, $100 a week and you know that that's achievable for you. So break down your house goal into achievable goals and achievable steps. And also go and chat to a broker to get an idea of what you need to actually save to get into that property. Yes, that's a great point because it depends on the percentage that you have to save as well because sometimes you can get in the housing market with a very small percentage as well yeah, um, as your like down payment. Yeah, like the 5%, <laughs> like no LMI loans or if you've got like, if you're in a profession like doctors or OTs, you can sometimes get 10% with no LMI as well. So there's lots of different options. The next question we have is, I read two books a month. What would you recommend cost-wise, Kindle or physical books? I like this question. I think there's like the non-cost question of Kindle or physical, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, cost-wise though, it depends on you and what you're reading. So Kindle Unlimited is $13.99 a month in Australia at the moment. Are the books that you want to read actually on Kindle Unlimited? A lot of the bestsellers aren't on there and you'll need to buy them anyway. Um, how much are the books that you're reading? Are they $12 from Kmart or are they $25 to $30 from somewhere else? What about going to the library? Can you just get them for free? Um, I really like Kindle Unlimited and I do pay for it because it encourages me to read more and make the most of it. This is kind of how I think about my health insurance extras as well. I like prepaying for things that are good for me because it encourages me to use them and make the most of them. Anna, do you prefer Kindle or physical books? 
Oh, I'm a big Kindle fan, but that's because I don't want books taking up my space in my house. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's, it's a hard challenge, right? Because I love physical books. I like how heavy they are. I like turning the pages. I like seeing where I am in that book. But Kindle for me is just so much more practical. I can read it at night when I can't sleep. I can easily carry it in my bag and so forth. So I'm more of the Kindle side, but I'm also a huge fan of using my library and audiobooks is where it's at for me as a very busy parent. (laughs) What about you, Tash? I go through phases. So I was definitely a very big book, like physical book advocate for ages. And then I started using my Kindle more and it does have a lot of perks. Like you can put a lot of books on. It's good for traveling. It's waterproof. I can read it at nighttime without having to turn the light on. So that was great. But now the last few books I've read have been physical ones. And I do really enjoy like the satisfaction of seeing how much I have left in the book go down. I know you can see the percentage on the Kindle, but it's just not quite the same. So I, li- I like both. And also you retain information slightly differently between the two. Is that right, Tash? Yeah. I read a study a little while ago saying that you retain information from physical books better, but I think there's more recent studies that say it doesn't matter and it depends on you and how you learn. And did you say that it's better to switch between them? Like having the variety is good for your brain too? I think that we learn differently. So even using, for example, audiobooks, you might retain information differently when you're listening than when you're reading. And I know, I know, Tash, we've talked in the past about like zoning out during an audiobook. I also sometimes zone out when I'm reading if I'm thinking about something else, depending on what you're reading. So it's good to switch it up and see what works for you. But I'm a big advocate for books. So whatever it is, Kindle Unlimited, physical books, library, audiobooks, go read them. Next question. How can I check my credit score for free? Oh, good question. A credit score essentially just tells you your overall health of your finances. It takes a little while for your credit score to build up. The main reporting companies are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion in Australia. Three places to check your credit score are Canstar, Finder, and WeMoney. Um, But it's important to remember that it's not like the US. You don't need a credit card to actually build up your credit score here. I remember reading in a Barefoot Investor newsletter that he said that you can also lock your credit with Credit Savvy. It's a division of the Commonwealth Bank. Interesting. Locked and not look. You want to lock your credit score? Yeah. And the reason for this is because sometimes there's identity theft that happens and people can take out credit in your name. So what you can do is you can download the Credit Savvy app and you can request a ban, which means that other agencies know that you've you've got a ban and you can't actually pull out credit in your name. So you can kind of set this up for 12 months or so. And that way, when you do need credit, you can unlock it. But it's a really great way to kind of secure yourself a little bit more. Interesting. I think we need to do more episodes on like security things in the future because I hadn't I hadn't heard of this before. There's a lot that we should consider when it comes to finances and security. So let's definitely coming early next year. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Next question. At the moment, I invest into the S and P 500. I understand compounding and how it works, but what I can't understand is when does the amount varying with the market start to include my interest? At the moment, the amount of money I've paid in fluctuates with the market. But when does the amount of money I've paid in plus interest start to fluctuate? This is a great question because compound interest gets thrown around a lot when it comes to investing and people don't really understand what it means in regards to investing. So it is a mathematical concept of calculating returns. But when you calculate compound interest, it isn't exactly what you get through a compound interest calculator because often you just punch in a percentage and you get a number. I think compound interest in these examples is overly simplified sometimes. So let's go back to how shares actually make money. Total returns consist of dividends and of capital gains. 
So dividends are the income payments you get from a share or ETF. Usually you can see what percentage an ETF pays you in dividends, such as two or 3%. You can find that on the fund manager's website. Um, and then the next way they make money is through capital gains, which is the overall share price and how much it's gone up or down from when you bought it. So therefore, there are two separate components of your total return. You can see your dividends either come in quarterly or every six months, but your capital gains, the part that actually fluctuates with the market is slightly different. The thing is, it doesn't get paid out the way you do with a savings account. You actually need to sell your shares to to solidify this gain or loss. So it is a little bit different. So again, your total return is dividends plus capital gains, which fluctuates. And often you kind of have to look at the percentage instead of the actual math because you're not selling anything at that time. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not like a bank account where you just get paid the fixed four or 5% and you can see that getting paid because it's made up of the two or sometimes three components. So if you have a look at your total return percentage number, you can find this on ShareSite or Nivexa. It'll calculate your dividend return, your capital gain or loss, plus also currency fluctuation if you've got international shares as well. So just to summarize, when investing in shares, it's not the same as a bank account where you can get paid a fixed amount of interest. And this is often a little bit confusing because we often say shares may return 7% a year, but none of this is guaranteed. This is just simplifying it to try and calculate some kind of return to illustrate the example. The way I like to think about it is let's say you have a 2% return on your dividends. So every year around 2% you get back. And let's say it's 5% on your capital gains. So you see the share price going up about 5% a year. That total would be 7% a year that you would get a total return on your ETF or your share that you've invested in. Now, we do know that it fluctuates. So not every year will you be getting the 5%. Sometimes it'll be 15. Sometimes it'll be negative 15. The point is that those two, the dividends and the capital gains return, will average out a specific percentage. So let's say in this case, 7%. And then that's the number that you kind of look at when you talk about compounding and compound interest. And that's often the number that kind of gets thrown around when you are doing that math. And compounding works not just with interest. So compounding is just money making more money. So as your share price goes up, those returns still compound, even though it's technically not interest. So compound interest can be confusing, but it's just the term for the mathematical concept pretty much. The hard part in calculating all of this is that you're never guaranteed a percentage. Like I said, sometimes it goes down one year, sometimes it goes up. So you're trying to just figure out what the average is. And we don't always know what the average is. That does fluctuate. But historically, a number that people often use is around 7%. And that's kind of why we also, in our calculations, sometimes we talk about around 7%. Yeah, 7% is actually a conservative number because if you look at the history of the S&P 500 returns, it's actually a bit higher. So you can find 9 10 11% even, depending on which time period you're looking at. But yeah, I think we oversimplify it sometimes to try and explain how exciting and how cool it is. But unfortunately... The real world isn't quite that simple. Because if you want to make it a bit more complex, you can also talk about inflation and how inflation Mm. plays into it. And then banking (laughs) credits. Yeah. So it can get a bit more complex and it's not as black and white and you can't really always know what your expected amount is for the year. And that's why we always talk about averages and 
we we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know what the future holds for us and in our investments. Yes. But congrats on investing in the S&P 500 as well. That's very exciting. You're on the way to financial freedom or whatever the goal is. <laughs> okay. What are our steps for today? We have a Facebook group and if you haven't joined it yet, please do. It's called the Get Rich Slow Club. Just search that on Facebook. Um, leave us questions in there. If you've got questions, if you want anything answered on the podcast, if you just want us to respond, um, make sure you pop a question there and we'll get back to you. And that's all. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.